Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Good morning, folks. We've got a great show lined up for you today. In the 12 o'clock hour, we'll visit with Raphael Goinecci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. We'll talk about a number of issues and... um, We'll reveal a couple of things that uh, most folks have not been aware of, uh, so you want to tune in in the 12 o'clock hour. Michael Heck joins us, GNO Inc. Hour, and we'll visit with Michael Heck, as well as Greg Rusevich, is CEO of Transoceanic Development. And we'll be talking about the comprehensive development plan that was put together by the Louisiana Board of Inter- International Commerce. And um, we'll talk about those issues and what it means to our port, our port facilities, and the future of our city. In the uh, back half of the 10 o'clock hour, Frank Javia, the St. Tammany Parish Public School Superintendent, and Brant Osborne from the St. Tammany Federation of Teachers and School Employees joins us. The school board has uh, voted to terminate the collective bargaining agreement with the school's teacher and employee union. We'll get to the bottom of what that actually means. There's... um, a number of reasons that have been given, and we, we will give both sides the opportunity uh, to talk about that. We are all aware of gun violence. We read about it every day. We see it across this country. Uh, recently, there was a story reported in Fox 8 about juvenile gun-related deaths, double the national average in Louisiana. And in the article, uh, Dr. Allison Smith, the trauma surgeon at LSU Health, uh, was quoted, and she joins us. Dr. Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Doc, you see uh, tragedy probably almost every day, and obviously uh, as a result of your comments in the article, when it comes to juveniles, uh, it's even more horrific uh, uh, to see that occur what what do you, if you would for the audience describe what you're experiencing and what you're seeing in the ER each day? Yeah, so you know, in terms of um, kind of my day to day, you know, I work at the Level One Trauma Center at UMC, so we see patients that are are victims of violence. Um, you know, it's a larger portion of what we do here um, in this city compared to other cities in the United States, but you know, we do see other. Um, issues, car wrecks and um, assaults and different types of trauma as well. But, you know, certainly a lot of our day-to-day, unfortunately, here does revolve around violence. And when it, uh, obviously, uh, what caught your attention was uh, this juvenile rate uh, of deaths, uh, whether there be accidental shootings, uh, um, unintentional access to a weapon, and bad things happen, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in in terms of, you know, the overall picture of gun violence, you know, when you look at the statistics, the pediatric portion of it is is a very small percentage. But I think, you know, statistics aside, just looking at it as, you know, a a trauma surgeon, as 
a human being, as a mother, you know, I think that certainly having, you know, any pediatric gun violence is alarming, even if it does represent a small portion of it. And just knowing that, you know, we are losing young children that really have so much potential to contribute to our society and to New Orleans. So I think, you know, a lot of our efforts do focus on youth and, you know, why we're losing kids at such an alarming rate. What are the stories that you hear from parents when they come in? Yeah, so, you know, we kind of, it's, it's you know, I think the most common story you hear a lot of it is related to kind of a culture of gun violence that unfortunately we, we do see in the city. And, you know, you do hear stories from parents that are heartbreaking in terms of, you know, having other children or other family members that have been previous victims of gun violence. So, you know, that's really hard when you have a parent say that, you know, they recently lost another child to gun violence and, you know, here they are again going through the similar situation. Um, you know, some of the stories do focus on negligent firearm discharge and, you know, families owning guns and not protecting them appropriately and having small children that can get access to them. So that is a part of what we see as well. Um, but, you know, on either end of the spectrum, any of those stories can be very disconcerting to hear. Are you all able to dig deeper to find out um, what really the undercurrent is uh, as to why they need to have such readily accessible firearms or why their children are being targeted? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that does, unfortunately, as a testament to kind of some of the, you know, violence within the city and just, you know, a cultural um, understanding that, you know, firearms are prevalent within within neighborhoods and they're prevalent within, you know, the livelihoods of, of people in the city. And I think, you know, you certainly hear things about it, but, you know, sometimes we don't get the full story. And, you know, I, I certainly know that the detectives look into it further and try to piece together what exactly happened. But, you know, sometimes you don't get an entire picture of, you know, why guns were present and what transpired to, to cause that to happen. Oftentimes we hear about changing the culture. Uh, I'm always a little mystified by that because it, there's never really a follow-up as to how we're going to go about doing that, right? Right, and and I do think, you know, even though we obviously are alarmed at the numbers and, and things like that, I do think that there is more of a push than, you know, I, I've been in New Orleans for um, almost 17 years, I think, you know, during my training in medical school and now as a as a practicing physician, I do think that, you know, we have the most momentum of, you know, as a city, we recognize that this is an issue and we can't be losing young people um, or really anybody at at, an, at any age um, due to firearms and, and violence. And so I do think that there is a push, you know, from many different fronts. I mean, it, it's not one solution is going to fix all, but I think, you know, having a multifaceted approach, just like we've improved highway safety, I think the same approach needs to be taken with gun violence. And I do think there is some efforts really being put forth in the city to address it. No doubt. Uh, when we look at the cost to society, uh, separate and apart from the tragedy, and, you know, that tragedy is carried forward into future generations. I don't know that a family ever um, releases themselves of, of that, right, or relieves themselves of that tragedy. Uh, the financial burden uh, uh, for our city is huge as well, and uh, I know the, these cases that come into the ER are uh, sometimes incredibly complicated and costly. 
Yeah, they certainly are. And, and the patients that, you know, do survive from these injuries, a lot of them are going to have, you know, lifelong medical issues that are really going to, you know, not only the cost, but just loss of livelihood for, for the patients that have these injuries. So you know, certainly looking at, you know, the patients that do survive, there is definitely a huge cost um, to, to them as well in terms of how their lives are impacted. Doc, um, there's a group of you guys sitting around a coffee table. It's a rough night. You've had a number of these cases come in. What do you all say to one another? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you're talking with your colleagues, I think you you have different levels of, of discussion. I think when, you know, you're kind of decompressing from what happened, you know, you you, you talk through it, you talk, you know, kind of in, in broader terms. But I think, you know, when we all sit down and get our heads together and think about, you know, what are we doing as physicians, specifically as trauma surgeons and emergency medicine physicians to address this issue because we see it day in, day out. To me, it's like being a cardiologist and not caring about my patient doing lifestyle changes and preventing them from having a heart attack. As a trauma surgeon, I want to prevent my patients from having trauma. And so we do have a a dedicated portion of what we do to injury prevention. And in recent years, we've really been focusing more on gun violence because it impacts so much of our patients. And so when we have these bigger discussions, a lot of what we focus on is, you know, what can we do as trauma surgeons, you know, we're, we're part of the solution. You know, a lot of these interventions, you know, you can't necessarily do while the patient's in the hospital, but you can certainly get the patient and their families connected to the right resources, um, and you really can push for that change. And I think that's something we're all cognizant of in the bigger picture is, you know, we don't want these trends to continue. We want to, we want to do better. We want our city to do better. And at the end of the day, we all live here. We're all members of the New Orleans community, so we really want this problem to be addressed. Dr. Jennifer Avegno has said that violent crime is a public health issue, and as you just articulated, there is this belief that there is a proactive role for, for the uh, medical community to play uh, in this uh, arena, right? Absolutely, and I think that's something as a country we've embraced more in the recent years of this is 100% a public health issue. And I think in general, trauma has always been an under-recognized public health issue. It's been underfunded by the government. It's been under-recognized as really the issues it creates, you know, really on a larger scale than cancer and other diseases. So I think we have to recognize trauma as a disease, and we need to put all efforts forth to preventing it, especially because it, it really targets our younger population, and those are the people we need in our, in our country. I mean, if you had the magic wand and there's one thing that y'all could do from the medical perspective, what would it be? I think from our standpoint, what really would be the magic wand is the prevention efforts. And I think, you know, it's something that if we could look at and say, okay, let's reduce, you know, the number of of violent crimes we have in New Orleans, the number of, of shootings, I think, you know, that's something that we would do. But again, you know, our part is different within the but um, I think, you know, that's something that, you know, we all don't want to see an increase of, even though as trauma surgeons we're trained and we're well trained to deal with them. Um, that's not something that we want to see, you know, on a continual basis where you feel like it's a combat zone. Yeah, you know, and I think of this in context. Uh, I, I served on a hospital board for 24 years, so I read a lot uh, about what's going on in medicine and I, I look at 
um, I just wanted to say uh, thank you to you and your peers and, and all that you do because y'all are doing so much more with less. I mean, there's fewer nurses, fewer physicians, uh, fewer allied health professionals. I mean, just the whole system top to bottom seems, seems to me to be uh, stressed um, on a good day, much less the days where yeah. y'all are just, you know, all hands on deck. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I appreciate that. And I think certainly, I think that's become very apparent during the COVID pandemic that, you know, the healthcare system is stressed. And I think it's really important to remember that, you know, as physicians, we're part of the team, but especially in trauma, we're a team approach. So nurses, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, social workers, caseworkers, trauma psychologists, you know, we're all part of the team. And I think especially those of us that work in the trauma center, everybody here who, who works here has a mission and they want to be here and they want to help these patients. I'm going to make a statement and I want to get your reaction. For us in the policing business, um, a lot of what when we go out on scenes and, and there's a shooting and, you know, we, we put them in the crash truck and they're, they're headed to UMC, um, a lot of times we talk about, but for modern medicine, our homicide rate would be a hell of a lot higher um, than what what it is. Um, your reaction? I, I agree with that statement. I, I think, you know, one thing really a testament to the pre-hospital personnel to New Orleans EMS, to Katie, and the, the, you know, providers that take care of these patients in the streets, they're, they're so well-trained and they're truly underappreciated for what they do. And I think you know, especially in New Orleans, where we have a lot of experience with patients in hemorrhagic shock from, from gunshot wounds, you know, those pre-hospital personnel are the ones that really make the difference. And something my mentor, Dr. Norman McSwain, who, you know, our trauma center is named after, always said that trauma care starts in the streets. And, you know, that first encounter, you know, when police, fire, EMS are all there, that's really what starts the clock. And, you know, when we get the patients to us, you know, we certainly, you know, do procedures and other things that will stop bleeding and further resuscitate the patient. But if we didn't have that good pre-hospital care, which I think, you know, the care in New Orleans is really excellent. We've pioneered a lot in terms of tourniquets, pre-hospital blood, bleeding control techniques that, you know, really have set the standard for other trauma centers in the country. I really do think that we have gotten really good at controlling the bleeding and then it's dealing with the patient for subsequent issues once they get to the trauma center. No, absolutely. And it, it's always amazed me, um, uh, you know, there's so many folks we've sent your way where when we ultimately get the report that they lived, um, it, it's like, oh, my God, I, I, how? Um, you know, and it's just amazing the work that y'all do. And you're right, and I'm so glad you bring it up about the EMTs, the, you know, the EMS units, uh, fire that's out there as well, and a lot of the work um, that police do that are that are trained in that field too uh they all uh, contribute uh, to that very important timeline um seconds sometimes right the difference between mm -hmm. life and death and 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 getting in into your er yeah absolutely and i think they're really sometimes the unsung heroes of it and it's great you know when we get to have that closure with them and let them know how their patients did because they are invested and they don't always get to see the outcomes yeah well, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. It's always interesting to get a perspective from those that are in the trenches. And, I mean, you guys are really in the trenches because when I've been in the ER when y'all have had 
three and four different gunshot victims coming in uh, many, many years ago. And, and I just sat back and was completely amazed. Uh, it was organized chaos is about the only way that I can describe it. But everybody knew their role and everybody was fulfilling their role. And, and it was almost magical uh, that they were able to pull all of this together. And it's a testament to the work that y'all do. And very proud of the work that you do. And thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I agree. I think it's definitely recognizing we have a great team and, you know, we don't necessarily want to be dealing with these situations, but we are trained to deal with them and we do. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Allison Smith, trauma surgeon at LSU Health, UMC, New Orleans. Uh, Thank you so much. Have a great uh, weekend and a great Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All righty, folks, we'll be right back. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line. Stay with us. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. Uh, Last Thursday, November 9th, the St. Tammany Parish Public School Board voted to terminate the collective bargaining agreement with the Federation of Teachers and School Employees there, the union representing uh, the teachers, uh, in order to engage in negotiations for a new collective bargaining agreement, whereby the existing one will expire in June of 2024. Uh, Head started spinning as a result of it. A lot of questions being asked by parents, teachers, and otherwise. And here to talk about it is Frank Javia, the St. Tammany Parish Public School Superintendent, as well as Brant Osborne, President of St. Tammany Federation of Teachers and School Employees. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Thanks. No. So, Frank, I'll let you start. Obviously, the school board uh, held this vote and uh, terminated the collective bargaining agreement. And from what I understand, it was uh, to the surprise of many. Tell us about the thought process. Well, I think just talking with the board members as we've gone through the collective bargaining agreement over the last few years, they just felt like it was a great time to hit the reset button. We. Uh, you know, when, I, when this agreement was signed, we had a uh, superintendent that was in that was in an interim role, uh, and uh, the federation also had someone in an interim role. We were in the middle of COVID, uh, so the, the contract 
just needed to get done at that point in time because we truly didn't know where we were. We didn't know what COVID, the long-term effects, what it would look like, uh, what all was going on. So just talking with the board members and just going through and, and, and working together with the Federation, this was a great chance to hit the reset button. Uh, there were a lot of things that probably needed to get addressed pre-COVID uh, that didn't need to get addressed as far as uh, working with, and, and basically it's the uh, language in the CBA, has nothing to do with benefits and, and, and rights of the employees. It's more about getting the language and the contractual language right uh, to where it's a transparent document and it, it reflects state law and it reflects what we do in St. Tammany, how our employees operate, how they, um, how they, what they go to, if they have an issue or they need something addressed or if they have a question, uh, it's a great document. And, and I kind of refer to this document as the employee handbook. So basically it has everything in there uh, that you could think of uh, if you, if an employee needed to address a situation or felt like uh, they needed to address something with management or with their administration. So uh, it's just a great chance to hit the reset button. We've got a brand new board. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. Osborne and just like I are, are brand new, basically in our position with a brand new contract. So it's a great opportunity to, uh, to get it right and do it together and work together to do this. Frank, was the Federation aware that this was going to be taken up for consideration and voted on that evening? They were aware the week before. It was on the agenda for committee as a whole. Yes, sir. Okay. Brent, uh, obviously, uh, so the vote passes. It wasn't unanimous, but it passes nonetheless. Uh, your thoughts? Well, no, just on a, a personal note, this is kind of full circle for me. I, I, I joke with Frank that uh, I'm turning into my pawpaw. He used to blast uh, talk radio, <laughs> and now I'm on your show. I'm a big fan. So, uh, and look, Frank and I grew up down the street from each other on Queens Drive and Slidell. So we know, you know, despite the, the tensions and all the uh, concern, we got this. We're going to get a new bargain agreement. I think it boils down to, uh, like Frank's saying, this is an old document. We inherited it. Um, it was negotiated by interim folks. Uh, we're going to get it right. Uh, but more than just the language, uh, the language has to uh, also involve relationships because this is a partnership between the school board, the administration, and the federation. And I'll be honest, look, when I when I came in, I ran as a maverick. Um, you know, the, the union had a, a slate. I ran as a teacher. We built our own slate, and it is a democracy. So we won that vote on a reform uh, agenda, and I was a bit harsh in my rhetoric against my own union. You know, I think I said something like it was a dead tooth in a rotten socket. So, you know, that doesn't build too many uh, uh, friends, and that's what I'm trying to reform. But <laughs> at the same time, though. Um, you might want to run for I, Speaker work- of the House. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, if, if they get the wet pass, uh, look, that's a great thing. People need to stop labeling folks and give people a chance to work together. Right. And I guess that's the message I want to send to get to, uh, today. Obviously, we all know that any time that this happens, there's angst and anxiety that goes along with that, right? Um, people are cynical. Absolutely. They're a little skeptical. So, Frank, what do you say to the teachers and, and the other um employees of, of the district uh, to put their mind at ease. Right. Uh, you know, no, we, I, people that know me, I've been in this same school system in St. Tammy Parish as a coach, teacher, administrator, and now superintendent. I'm a people person. I, I've built relationships with students and with employees my entire career. So I want the best for our employees, as does Mr. Osborne. 
Uh, I've had employees uh, as my number one, you know, focus along with growing students every day and getting through COVID and all the things we did. So I just want everyone to know that, you know, we already started this process on Monday. We had a great meeting on Monday. We kind of started with some basic uh, little ground rules meeting and set an appointment already to, to come together uh, after the Christmas break. So, so we're really excited to get started and, and to get it right. And this is our opportunity for Brant and I to get together and, and be on the same page and, and get it right for the employees. And it can be an amazing document that can be a model for the rest of the state of Louisiana and the South. Uh, Brent, what are, you, agree with Frank. What, what are you hearing from your membership? Well, I'll tell you, man, if, if people want to feel it, what, go on YouTube and watch the last meeting. Uh, we did not do a call to action. Um, I, I really felt confident that Frank's strong message would uh, get the board to vote another way. But you'll, you'll hear the passion of folks, and that's really as a representative. I just checked my ego at the door, and I took my armor off because, man, I'm, I'm quick to anger, uh, and I'm trying to, trying to channel Atticus Finch. <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're fighting for our employees and public education as a whole, um, but you can't do it in a way to where it's scorched earth. You know, so we're trying to, you know, we broke ground, so now we're trying to plant seeds. But, yeah, there's a lot of fear, dread, and anxiety, and, and Frank and I are trying to alleviate that. Um, because, man, we got off to that strong start, as he mentioned. Um, we were working with a, a federal mediation and conciliation services, guy from Alabama, straight shooter. He's there for both sides to help us. Uh, we don't want him at the table necessarily unless we get in the weeds, but he's there for um, logistical support. Uh, Frank and I are not experts. I mean, I've had like a crash course in collective bargaining, but this guy can help us establish those rules and procedures. Um, I liken it to when I was in high school. They had a student teacher that had a lesson called World War II Poker. And the, the gist of it was we broke into groups. One table was America. You know, one was Britain. One was Germany. One was Japan. And the trick of it was when you rotated, the other country was playing by a different set of rules. So you either were passive, right, and you accepted that, or you said, hey, what's going on here? So I think the idea is let's all agree on the set of rules because the ones we inherited are not working. It, it should not be creating this kind of friction. Um, the goal of collective bargaining is labor peace, and that's what uh, Frank and I want. We want our folks to be happy. You know, teacher and school employee learning conditions or working conditions are student learning conditions, and that's the goal. It's all about the kids at the end of the day. I hear what you all saying about reset. I hear that there's been legislative changes that you want to make sure that the collective bargaining agreement accommodates those legislative uh, changes. Uh, but there's always bones of contention. So, Frank, uh, from your perspective, from the board's perspective, what are the top three issues for you guys that y'all hope to accomplish? Kind of like as Brand has kind of alluded to, you and, and I kind of did also. It's it's getting getting the the verbiage correct that mirrors state law because we have to follow Act One and. And that that document was never updated uh, since the 2012 uh, addition to that. But that's by not Bob really Schindler. a. But but that's not really a bone of contention, right? I mean that that has to be done. It is because whether, whether it's well, but but it's but what I'm saying it's a bone of contention because it's been referred to and we've made some kind of some decisions uh, over my time that 
was not handled correctly because of the verbiage in the CBA didn't match law. And we, the CBA is kind of like our Bible. We try, sure. you know, we, we, it, that needs to mirror state law so that but the state, but the state law trumps, there, the, the state law it, trumps it the CBA. It, it, it does, but it gets, it gets very, there, there are accommodations inside the CBA that if you have a CBA, there are certain laws that are amended that, that there's a workaround if you have a right. CBA. So it's right. being on the same page with those. So okay. I'm just telling you, we had a we had a hearing that happened that truly shouldn't have happened because it was we were trying to obey and try to work through the CBA and some of the language. So it's right. a communication, and we just want to make sure that this administration and the faculty, staff, employees that we have the communication is correct, it's transparent, it's moving forward, and we all get on the same page. So the majority and of I the, would assume, the issues Frank, that we have. Frank, I would assume those are more administrative remedies and probably have something to do with disciplinary action. No, the disciplinary action, that, that's pretty much set up by law. No, it's not really okay. disciplinary action. It's, but it's an ad- it's administrative remedy. It's more about administrative protocols and right. just okay. processes. Processes. Right. No, if, if respectful, yes, I don't want to get in the weeds, but – but in terms of the hearing, um, it's okay to have the hearing as long as the board is not compelled to do anything that would be against Act 1. So, for instance, right. um, and let me tell the, the listeners what Act 1 is. In 2012, um, the general, general administration pushed legislation that radically changed the relationship between school boards and the superintendents and, in fact, stripped some of those powers from the locally elected school board and invested them in the executive. So um, that gives him uh, control over the hiring, firing, and discipline. So to me, the purpose of a hearing is just for folks to be heard. So the board does not have the power to override any decision regarding discipline. They can only recommend. So um, as long as we stay in that lane, we're okay. But I think the whole thing, though, is what should hearings look like that makes everybody comfortable? That's what we're going to negotiate because we inherited this language. So how can we set up a hearing where everybody feels comfortable and it is and Act 1 is reflected outright in the language? You don't have to read between the lines. It will be directly stated so that when Frank and I are gone, whoever takes over, you know, they'll inherit that document, be good to go, unless, hey, they need to adjust it for the day and the challenges of their day. All, all, within, all within the context of due process, right? I mean, just make Correct. sure that everybody's – so yeah. you have two forms of due process in, in every CBA across the country. You have the just cause, that's the disciplinary mm-hmm. process. And look, you know, we're not here to protect bad employees. If you did it, you did it. But it should be a humane, fair process. And our goal is always to say, hey, um, you know, you got to fall on your sword sometimes. Um, if there's mitigating circumstances, we want to point those out. But it should not look like deflection. You got to own what you did. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants to be in that room. Right. Right. We want to correct it. And if we can restore that relationship with the administrative employee, that's what has to happen. And Frank and I, I think, share that vision. Absolutely. And that's and that's what we want to do. It's all about due process, working together and both both parties, both groups, 
be on the same page and we have to move forward. We have, we have amazing employees in St. Tammany. We have an amazing school system. Uh, it's reflected on our scores that probably everybody sees right now, posted all over social media and everywhere else. So we absolutely uh, need our employees. We want our employees. And we all want to work together to continue this, uh, this school system in a positive direction. Well, you know, it's interesting, both you, Brant, and you, Frank, you all both hold the public's trust in the palm of your hands, and you have to manage and massage it carefully, right? Otherwise, you'll lose yes, it. Yes, sir. And then oh, absolutely, the, man. You know, absolutely. the public will have no confidence, Frank, in your board, and, and Brant, the public will have no confidence in your teachers, quite frankly. Well, and, and I, so, I so there's a lot to, there's a lot to lose, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I have the tougher job. You know, Frank's inherited a great system. We kind of dipped there a little bit. COVID was tough, but we're, you see, we're, we're climbing under his leadership. In the South, the word union has a stigma on it, right? So I just have to show people unions are the people who belong to them. We are St. Tammany. I grew up down the street from Frank. We have St. Tammany values. We have uh, St. Tammany in our hearts. Absolutely, we want this uh, school system to be world class. So we're trying to overcome you know, that stigma as well. And so it could be tough, but, hey, we're part of the Chamber of Commerce. We talk to all kinds of civic organizations. So we just want everybody to know we have everybody's best interest in mind. And at the end of the day, supporting teachers and school employees helps those kids. Yeah. Hey, let me, uh, Brent, I'm just kind of curious. I was I was one that favored Act 1. I mean, I, I think that, that boards ought to be setting out three- and, and five-year strategies, not picking out colors that we're going to paint a classroom or carpet that's going to go in into a lobby of a school or involved in where what teacher is going to teach at what school and i've seen this over and over and over again across this state for a whole lot of years and that's not really the role of a board i'm kind of curious what the union's perspective is on that well, and, and I agree with that. And then, you know, there's cronyism as well. You know, you'd have board members, try, members trying to strong arm, a, you know, a superintendent or something to get somebody hired. So taking that out of their hands, that was helpful. All I'm asking for, and I would like to push for an amendment to allow in hearings the power for the locally elected board to override an individual decision in the rare circumstance where that would be needed. You know, I just think that's fair to have that oversight board. I can't imagine there being a board in a business that couldn't override a CEO unless I'm unless I'm reading that wrong. But I think locally elected officials coming together, looking at evidence, should have the ability to overturn. And right now, by law, they don't. So some type of an appeal process is basically what you're looking for. Just due process and empower those those board members uh, to be able to to make those decisions because right now all they have is the ability to hire fire and evaluate um, the superintendent and that kind of ties their hands a lot and i keep hearing that from board members who's tying our hands well act one is one bessie the legislature um so we need to give them a little more power i'm all about local control real suspicious of the federal government although i want <laughs> we're working with federal mediation but it's non-binding right but you don't want them to come in and dominate the process uh, but certainly uh, local ch- control is important, uh, not just to me and Frank, but also uh, our board members and St. Tammany Parish as a whole. Yeah. And policing your 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 uh, your group is 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 uh, of paramount importance as well, because the more that you can avoid these situations, the better off it, it is for everyone, quite frankly. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. And, look, sometimes uh, somebody calls with a concern. It's like getting hot grits thrown on, right? It's like they're coming from a place of, uh, you know, extreme frustration and anger. And I've learned not to take it personally, although it's hard. But you just got to listen and get to the truth and uh, let them get that poison out. Um, but, but my role moving forward is I can carry that in my heart. But uh, like I said, I want to channel Atticus Fence because at the end of the day, we've got to preserve these relationships. They're very public relationships, and it's very easy to get uh, feelings hurt. Uh, I point to myself. Um, like Sean Payton says, it starts with me. Frank, I'll give you the last, the last word. Hey, no, just looking forward to the process. Brent and I, like I said, like he's mentioned, we've known each other for a long time. We have a great board that wants to do great things here in St. Tammany. Um, but we're going to work together to make this happen. Uh, like I said, we've already started. So it, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to get it going. I, I'm blessed to, to work with amazing people every day and to be surrounded by amazing parents. So, you know, I, I, I answer to the teachers and all of our employees uh, I answer to our board, and I answer to our students and their families. So in St. Tammany, we've got to continue to educate the kids and do a great job, or they're going to look for another avenue. So we've got to make sure that we continue that positive uh, trend that we're on, and uh, we are absolutely doing it because we have amazing people. And I think together, Brant and I will uh, will do great things over the course of uh, the next few years for sure. Let me say congratulations to all of y'all on your scores. I had the superintendent of education on the show yesterday. Um, you know, it's always nice to see positive trends, which you guys have been posting for years. And congratulations uh, to your teachers, your students, your parents, your board, and, and everyone else involved. I know the folks in St. Tammany certainly appreciate it. Uh, best of luck to y'all through this process. We hope to check in with y'all again, and hopefully uh, this is done by April as opposed to June. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you, Newell. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate you, bro. Thank y'all very much, guys. Thanks for having All right, us, guys. Have, a great, that. Thank you. have right, a great Thanksgiving. Have a care, great guys. Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yep. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be right back. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back, folks. Uh, in the next hour, we will be visiting with Michael Heck with GNO Inc., as well as Greg Rusevich. He is the CEO of Transoceanic Development. With Greg, we'll be talking about this comprehensive development plan that was uh, produced by the Louisiana Board of International Commerce for the uh, Louisiana Economic uh, Development. We are a port city. That port is incredibly important to us on so many different fronts. And he will be able to share uh, what is going on uh, there and where we need to be in the future. We'll also be talking uh, to Michael about insurance, about urban water, about NoroNola, and uh, a bunch of other things going on here in the city as well. So we'll continue our conversation in the next hour. And in the final hour, 12 o'clock, we'll visit with Raphael Goyeneche. He's the president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. So stay with us. We will be right back. This is Newell on WWL. Folks, when we come back, we'll visit with Michael Heck, President and CEO of GNOA, Greg Rusevich, CEO of Transoceanic Development. We'll be talking about the port and all of its activities. And in the 12 o'clock hour, Raphael Goyeneche, President, Metropolitan Crime Commission. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Over here. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.